I would like to, we, we didn't really have a time of, of formal announcements this morning just because we were saving time with everything else going on, but I do want to welcome anybody that could be visiting with us for the first time. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us today. If it is your first time, we'd love to know that you're here, and there's a connection card uh, that you'll find in the, in the pew back right in front of you, and if you just fill that out, put that in the offering plate when it comes by at the end of the service, we'd love to, again, just thank you uh, for being with us, and if you have uh, any questions for us, us or any prayer request, you can put those on there and, and we'd love to, to pray for you on those things or answer any questions you might have. We do have, you know, some things going on that we didn't talk about, but um, you can find all that information in your bulletin. So hopefully you grabbed one of those. Um, kind of the main thing will be our, our worship and fellowship night next Sunday night. So every first Sunday, we're through the summer, we're having a time of worship and fellowship and cookout and food. So that's next Sunday night. That'll be August uh, 7th at 6 p.m. We'll meet at 6 p.m. We'll meet in the Next Gen Center. We'll worship together. We'll, then we'll fellowship over, over some food. And what better way, right? I mean, that's biblical. That's, that's biblical. I mean it. When we fellowship, we fellowship over food. And I think Baptists got that down better than anybody. But, <laughs> but hey, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So we're back in Nehemiah chapter 13 this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I do invite you to turn there with me. And we're going to be studying verses 15 through 22 of, of this final chapter. We're almost at the very end. Today's actually the next to last sermon of this study. We'll finish it up in a, in a couple weeks. And then, then we're going to do a few things where we'll have Lord's Supper. We'll do uh, Summer's End Celebration uh, through August. But next Sunday, I do want you to know we do have a special treat of having Matt Brocker with us next Sunday. So yeah, so that, that's going to be, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So if you've been around here for any length of time, you guys know who Matt is. If you happen to be brand new, and you don't know who Matt is. He's a former staff member here. And we sent him out to start Northside Baptist Temple in Columbus about a year and a half ago. And so they're doing great. You'll get to hear from him. He's going to be preaching for us um, next Sunday. So I'm excited about that. But in our time together this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the causes of captivity. That's our title for today's sermon. And I've given it that title because the problem that Nehemiah addresses in the, in the eight verses that, that we're going to look at this morning they're directly tied to the cause of the physical captivity of the nation of Israel. We, we've talked about that captivity throughout the study, right, in those 70 years that they spent under, you know, initially Babylonian control, and then there were some others, Persians then actually conquered the Babylonians. But in Babylon, under Babylon, Babylonian control, that time of captive, captivity to their enemies, and the specific problem that we see that Nehemiah is going to address today that's tied to that time of captivity was their lack of adherence to the Sabbath. So we've, Nehemiah is kind of addressing through this final chapter, he's a, this time of regression that we've talked about for the children of Israel. He's addressing a few different issues. And so last time we looked at their lack of support for the temple in verses 10 through 14. And today, in the passage we're going to look at this morning, he addresses their sin regarding the Sabbath. Uh, and then lastly, what we're going to see next time is their sin in not separating from the Gentiles and allowing mixed marriages. And he tackles them one at a time. But again, today's passage is focused on them not keeping the Sabbath and how that was related to their time of captivity. Now, to be clear, 
the children of Israel were disobedient in all sorts of areas. This wasn't their only issue. Um, they were idolatrous. They were selfish. They were sinful, all of it across the board, much like we are. But in our text this morning, Nehemiah does specifically say that this issue of not keeping the Sabbath did have a causation effect on the situation in which they found themselves. And so we're going to get to the full passage here in just a minute. But for now, look with me in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. Nehemiah says, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? Did not your fathers do the exact same thing? And because of it, did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. You see, you can link the captivity of the nation of Israel directly to them ignoring the Sabbath. And, and, and let me explain why and how. When God laid out the Sabbath, this, this principle of rest you need to know that it wasn't only every seventh day, right? So that's, you know, generally what we think of. You know, we, we see the pattern beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, and he creates the earth in those six days, and in that seventh day he rests. We, we see that principle throughout the Bible. God, you know, when, when, when God works, you, you typically see God works in stages of seven, it's sort of interesting. When God creates, he creates in, in threes, right, after, after his own image and after his own likeness. But So we have important numbers in the Bible, and, and seven is one of them, and, and God works in stages of seven. And he, when he established the Sabbath principle, you see it then in the book of Exodus with the manna. And then when we get to the law, right from the very beginning, from the Ten Commandments, he establishes the Sabbath as one of the law. But it wasn't only every seventh day, and it also included every seventh year. That was part of the law of their required rest. Every seventh year, they were to let the land rest, okay? It was an agricultural society, and they were to let the land rest every seventh year. And, and you know, just think about it, even from just from a physical, natural standpoint, it's not like today where we have man-made nutrients that we can put back into the soil and replenish the soil to keep the ground fertile. That year of rest for the land was necessary, even from a physical standpoint. But here's, here's the thing. Way more important than that, it was also an act of trust and, and simple obedience to God. Because the, the Jews were trusting God's provision by not farming that land for an entire year. And they had to plan ahead, and they had to, provide, they had to trust that God was going to provide. And, and again, this wasn't just a suggestion. It was a command back in Leviticus 25, verses 2 through 4. The Bible says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow the field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of the rest under the land and a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. And like most of the other commands that God gave them, Israel didn't obey. And there was a long period of time in their history before their captivity where they didn't keep this Sabbath to the tune of 490 years. And, and 490 is another interesting number. 
in the Bible. See it in Daniel chapter 2, kind of coming out of Nehemiah, all the way to, to the Messiah and, and with some these the, the 70 weeks of time in prophecy. You see it in the, in the Gospels when, with, when, when Peter asked how long they forgive. And so 490 is, a, is an interesting number in the Bible. But in those 490 years, they missed 70 Sabbaths, right? One every seven years. And listen, it's not like God hadn't warned them about this. Back in Leviticus, just one chapter after the command, he tells them what will happen if they don't obey this Sabbath of years. Leviticus 26, verses 33 through 35 says, here's what happens if you don't obey it, and I will scatter you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate. And you be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. It's almost as if God knew what was going to happen. And God did exactly as he promised. And he required those 70 years from, from Israel. And we see at the end of 2 Chronicles, it shows us that, talking about their time of captivity. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 19 through 21 says, And they, this is their enemy, specifically the Babylonians, and they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. This was the situation that Nehemiah was coming back to. And then they had escaped with the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. And the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, by the way, is Jeremiah 25, 11. It says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. You see, God got what was due him. And because of Israel's disobedience, he finally said, enough is enough. You owe me 70 years. And they had to pay it. And they paid it in their time of captivity. And yet, here we are, not even 100 years after that time of captivity, and they're doing the exact same thing thing again. And Nehemiah is upset about it because he knows the ramifications. He knows the seriousness of it. So in our text this morning, he addresses the specifics of what's going on related to the Sabbath. But here's what I want you to see. This is where we're going to go with this message this morning. I believe the details of what Nehemiah covers gives us some great insight into the, some of the hurdles that we face in our spiritual walk. Because, because here's the thing. Keeping the Sabbath does not apply to us today. We don't have to do that. We're no longer under the law. We're in the church age. We're in the age of grace. The Sabbath was a covenant very specifically between God and Israel. And we're not Israel. We're the church. So we're not required to keep it. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And, and here's why we don't need to keep the Sabbath. 
the rest that we see pictured in the Sabbath was fulfilled by Jesus. He fulfilled the whole law. So today, we get to rest in him. But there is still a principle that applies here. And we talked about it quite a bit. I, I took a, a, some time out when we went through chapter 10, when they were making the covenant to keep the Sabbath. And I, I kind of laid out that principle for you. And we're not going to repeat that. But, but here is what I want you to see. To experience the rest that is available in Jesus, you must spend time with Jesus. Well, as a principle, we can grasp and understand from the Sabbath, we need to set aside time that is specifically reserved for the Lord. This is a principle we need, a spiritual discipline we need to establish in our lives, to set aside time specifically reserved for the Lord, to get with him, to fellowship, to talk with him, to hear from him. So we do that every week as we meet together, to worship together, to thank the Lord together, to be trained and encouraged to go back out into the world and live out the mission throughout the week. So we do that corporately as a body, but you also need to do that individually as a body. You need to do that every day, personally. So just a great rule of thumb regarding the principle of the Sabbath and the first fruits that we've, we've talked about throughout this study. Again, these, these things that God covenanted with Israel, they don't apply to us doctrinally. They don't apply to us directly. But everything's for us, right? Not all the Bible's written to us, but it's all written for us. And we can learn from all of it. So here's just a great principle regarding the Sabbath, regarding first fruits. Give God the first dime out of every dollar the first day out of every week, and the first hour out of every day. Now, again, it's not law. <laughs> you don't have to do it that way. You can, you can do it your own way. But it's not a bad idea, right? If you're looking for just something to, to, to discipline your life with, there you go. Start there. First dime out of every dollar, first day out of every week, first hour out of every day. How about that? There are worse ideas, I promise you. There are worse ideas out there. Because here's what happens with us. We're just like them. We're just like the children of Israel. And once things kind of start slipping, it just gets easier and easier to let, that, let them keep slipping, right? We, we talk about the proverbial slippery slope. But, but there is truth to it. You know, I bet you the first time Israel missed that Sabbath year. But they're like, oh boy, we're going to... Man, we, we got a plant this year, but I don't, what's God going to do? You know, and I bet they're worried about it. They probably felt bad. They probably asked the Lord to forgive them. But by year 400, they probably didn't think that much about it. Because when you neglect time with the Lord that you're to set aside for him, and you don't see immediate ramifications, you start to assume that God doesn't care. Eh, he's okay with it. But I promise you he does. God gets what's owed him. And what I see in Christianity today is a lot of folks who have let this slip and let this slide. And, and, and they've kind of quit setting aside time for the Lord every day. And they've quit setting aside time for the Lord every week. This, this, this sacred time that we want to give to him. And it's sort of just become optional. 
And, and listen, the truth is, it is. I mean, you get to choose, you have free will. But because of it, they're in captivity. And the sad part is they might not even know it. But God said, okay, you can have it. You can have your time. But I promise you there will be ramifications. So today's message is simply a warning. Because the specific details that Nehemiah covers regarding the Sabbath picture for us the primary risk that each of us face in setting aside time for the Lord. Listen, we too are at risk for captivity. Now, not a physical captivity like the Israel faced, but instead a spiritual captivity that will ultimately lead to loss at the judgment seat of Christ. And we want to avoid that. So you need to be equipped to know what you're facing. So I'm going to try to equip you this morning. So we're going to read the passage. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time together, and then we'll learn the three primary causes of captivity in our lives. Nehemiah chapter 13, starting in verse 15, we read, In those days saw I and Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath? Did not your fathers thus? And did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath? And it came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should be no burden, that, that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so, again, we're, we come to you every Sunday thankful. Thankful as a church for, for who you are, for what you do, for how you've saved us, how you've brought us together to learn your word, to set this time aside to hear from you, to be encouraged in, in your body, and to be motivated to then go out from, from these doors and live a life that's glorifying to you in fulfillment of the mission that you've given us. And so Lord, I pray that you, you put that on every heart in here today. Lord, that we see what you want us to see, that your Holy Spirit talks very clearly to us this morning on this importance of spending time, just the simple, basic idea of spending consistent time with you and just the importance of that in our life. And so, Lord, we'll look at the things that hinder that. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here, first of all, that doesn't know you, Lord, that, that, that they'll be convicted of their sin to to, to, to give their life over to you. And then anybody here, all of us, that need to examine ourselves and see where we're at risk. 
Lord, that we'll acknowledge that and, and we'll make the changes necessary to live our life according to your word. So, Lord, I pray that you be with us today, that you teach us. I pray that, that, that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you that this entire service is a sweet savor to you, Lord. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we, we've read this discussion of the Sabbath. And, and, and you know, again, we're, the Sabbath's not for us, so we're not going to really get into the details of the Sabbath. But, but I do believe we're able to get some great insight into what attacks our time that we should set aside for the Lord, both personally and corporately. And here's where it starts. The first risk or the first cause of spiritual captivity in our life is when we get caught up in the cares of this world. When we get caught up in the cares of this world. And listen, this is going to be super simple. This is going to be super simple. We're, we're, we're going to attack these one at a time. But our fir- the first risk, we get caught up in the cares of this world. And this point gets to why they weren't adhering to the Sabbath in the first place. Right? Look back at verse 15. And in those days saw I Judas some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine, grapes, and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath under the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And again, this was an obvious violation of the law. It, it, it was a direct violation to the covenant that they made back in chapter 10. We've been showing you that, so I'll show you again. Nehemiah 10.31, here was the covenant, the promise they had made just a few years earlier. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And, and here we are. And it's just a mess. Nehemiah found the people doing all sorts of business on the Sabbath. He goes through and lists everything that they were selling. And for the Jews that were selling, they didn't want to lose the opportunity to make money. And for the Jews that were buying, they didn't want to miss all that the world had to offer, even for a day. And listen, neither do we. How many of you have pulled into a Chick-fil-A on Sunday? Frustrating, isn't it? They're closed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Listen, you want Chick-fil-A and you want it now. How dare them have some principle? <laughs> but the truth is, they were more concerned with what they could receive from the world than what they could receive from the Lord. That was the bottom line of it. They were more concerned with what they could receive from the world. They didn't want to miss out on what the world had to offer, even though that time was for them to set aside and receive from the Lord. And they didn't do it. And unfortunately, that describes many Christian lives as well. So the key word, I have a key word for each of these risks, each of these causes. The key word here is priorities. What are, you, what are your priorities? What do you value the most? Do you allow the cares of the world to take priority over time with the Lord, over time with us together? Jesus talked about this very thing in the parable of the sower, right? Sowing the seed of the word of God in Mark chapter 4, 
verses in 18 and 18 and 19, he said, And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Does that describe your life? And just listen to the progression of those words. Cares, deceitfulness, lust, choke, unfruitful. That's a bad path. It's a terrible road to follow. But please know that none of us, none of us are immune we talked about that a couple weeks ago when dealing with the topic of compromise and, and all this is related. But the world is calling us all the time. And just because you are victorious today doesn't guarantee tomorrow. Paul dealt with this in his ministry. He had people that, that ministered with him. One example is a guy named Demas. In the book of Colossians, Demas was a fellow laborer. Paul even included him in, in the closing salutations in Colossians 4.14. He's talking about who's greeting them together. He said, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And yet, by the end of Paul's ministry, Demas was gone. And why? What happened to Demas? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. And isn't that the problem with many Christians today? Having loved this precious world, in direct violation of the Scripture, 1 John 2 tells us, love not the world. You know, maybe some things are tricky in the Bible. Most things are pretty simple. When God says, love not the world, what do you think he means? He means love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 4.4 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's a direct violation. It's one of the enemies we have. And yet... So many of us today are consumed with this world and all that it has to offer us. And, and, and we're focused there. And we're focused on what we can get, what we can achieve, the, what, the pleasure, the fun that we can have, and not focused on what we can receive from the Lord. And not focused on what's to come. It's, this is all temporal and the focus is away from the eternal. While describing men and women of the, the time in which we live, this Laodicean church age, these last days of the church, Paul says this in, in 2 Timothy 3, 4. He said they're, they're going to be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Man, that's us, man. We love pleasure more than we love God. And listen, it's not necessarily wrong to enjoy life. No, of course. We, we've talked about this. It's okay to, to, to have pleasurable experiences, but not when you love them more than God. Not when that is your priority. And, and when you go about your time, you'll set aside time for the pleasures of life. And yet you won't set aside time for God. 
No, that's just wrong. I don't know what else to tell you. I love you enough to tell you. That's just wrong. So ask yourself, what do you love? Do you love, do you cherish time set apart to spend with God, to spend with his body? Or do you love just the pleasures of this world? Do you love temporal things more than eternal things? This is a lesson we all need to learn, especially in the world that we live in, in the country we live in, in the day we live in, in the distractions that we face. And we have to stay disciplined. This is a discipline you have to learn to stay focused on what is truly important, on those eternal investments that all start with spending time with the Lord. Because the cares of this world will steal it if you are not careful. And the next thing you know, you're a Demas. We don't need any more Demases around here. We need more Pauls. We need more Nehemiahs. We need more people with a spiritual focus who are devoted to spending time with God and not allowing that to be choked out by the cares of this world. Listen, this, this world has got us tricked and it's got us fooled. And that's what it's trying to do, by the way. And we're all running around so busy trying to get everything in. Every activity, every sport, every promotion, every dollar. But do you have to do everything? Right now? Would it kill you to miss a thing or two? And allow yourself time to rest in Jesus? And think about what it is that really matters? Then set your schedule accordingly and lead your family accordingly. Could it be that we are assuming jobs and tasks and activities that God never intended for us to be a part of? Even good things. I don't know, man. I think this is an area in which we need to be careful. The world offers a lot. And there are a lot of distractions pulling our time and our attention. But you have to know very clearly this morning that this life, this physical life that we have on this earth is just one big investment project. That's what it is. And Jesus told us exactly how we are to invest in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then down to verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's where you're focused. That's, again, it's not... It's, I'm not saying don't lay up things here for retirement or whatever, but if you're doing it at the cost of the eternal investment, no, seek that first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Where is your priority? Why do you want to spend your life investing everything you have in, in what are these 40, 60, or 80, or let's say that even you get 100 years on this earth? When there is an eternity after that. Don't waste the opportunity of this life. That's what it is. 
you have an opportunity here, not here, to lay up things there that will last forever. Don't waste it in getting caught up in the cares of this world. Prioritize time with the Lord. And when you do, that will help you with the second risk, or the second cause of spiritual captivity. And that is the continual doing of wrong. Just the continual doing of wrong. So, so here's where this point gets to. So I'll explain all of them for you. But this point gets to learning from past mistakes, from learning from your sins, and being able to grow in the Lord beyond it. To get to the point that you have victory in those areas of life that you struggle with. And this is something Israel never figured out. Not in their entire Old Testament history anyway. And Nehemiah called them on it. Look at verse 17 again. These are the verses we read in the introduction. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And again, we talked about this in the introduction, but Israel hadn't learned from their past mistakes. Listen, that can be true for, of us as well, both generationally and individually. There is such a thing as generational sins. The Bible talks about it. And it doesn't matter whether it comes from heredity or environment, right? Psychology will tell you that we're, a, we're just a mix of our heredity and our environment, and that's what we're destined to become. None of that matters. But we are all prone to have some of the same flaws that we've seen in our parents or those we grew up with. And then some of us, be even beyond that, just struggle with the same things over and over. And maybe it wasn't something that we saw in our parents. We just have our own besetting sins. And we just can't give victory over them. And we just keep repeating the same thing over and over. And when we do, maybe for a while we'll feel bad. Maybe we'll get it through willpower or whatever. We'll get it right for a while. But then inevitably... We find ourselves right back in that devilish pit that we were before. Captive. In spiritual captivity. Because the, this sin, this thing, has a hold on you. And it's holding you captive. You can't move beyond it. And even if you do for a little bit, you find yourself right back there. But listen, here's the thing. This is, this is the simplicity of all of this. this. This message is so super simple, but it's life-changing if you just grasp it. The Bible's a trump card. <laughs> it doesn't matter your heredity. It doesn't matter the environment you grew up in. It doesn't matter how tight of a grip any particular sin has on you right now. If you are just willing to apply biblical principles, you can overcome the Bible tells us that God's word, the Bible itself, can bring you into spiritual maturity. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. That the man of God may be perfect. Throughly furnished from the inside out unto all good works. You can be that man. You can be that woman. Perfect. It's not sinless perfection. That's not a biblical concept outside of Jesus. 
It's not in, in us, but it, it means mature. It means spiritually mature. Or, or let me say it this way. Not continually doing the same wrong thing over and over and over and over again. But you have to believe it. First, First Thessalonians 2.13 tells us that. And you have to put the Bible to work in your life. Philippians 2.12 talks to us about working out our own salvation. Right? We don't work for our salvation. Christ did that work. But once we receive it, we're to work it out. And we do that by getting in this word. It's the read, research, respond, right? We went through that a few weeks ago. So it's more than just reading, right? It's, you can't just read the Bible, and I think that's enough. If you're in some, some deep besetting sin or whatever, like, like some people think that they're just going to change through some form of spiritual osmosis or something. That, that's not the way it works. You need to believe it. You need to, in faith, believe that this book is what God said it is, what this book says it is. Believe it in faith. Just accept it. And then consistently apply it. Just take what it says and just apply it. You see, here's the thing. Doctrine isn't enough. You also need the reproof. And the correction and the righteousness, the instruction in righteousness. But when you get it all and you're applying it, it's everything you need. So if you're someone who struggles with that and you struggle with consistent spiritual growth and overcoming your own apathy, your own complacency, or your own outright sin, listen very carefully. You do not need anything new to make you spiritually mature. If you're saved, you do not need anything new to make you spiritually mature. You don't need a new book outside this one. You don't need the newest book study by your favorite Christian author. Again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they're all bad, although most of them are. <laughs> I'm, that's just the truth. Most of them are heretical. And you're confused by it because it sounds good. It's just not good. It's not Bible. And it's written by people who don't believe this book to be authoritative or sufficient. Man, you have everything you need. You don't need something new. You sure don't need worldly counsel. If you're saved, you have everything you need. You're not missing anything. You just need to develop in you what God has already provided for you. It's, it gets down to decisions. You decide in faith that this book is enough. You decide, okay, I don't even understand it all, but I'm going to decide, that, okay, this book is what it says it is. And this book is enough. And this life Living the Christian life, that's the best one. That's the best life. And I'm just going to decide in faith that I'm going to believe that. And then I'm going to walk it. And yeah, there might be stumbles along the way, but then you're going to get right back at it. 
He's given you his word and he's placed the Holy Spirit inside you that is able to teach you his word and guide you in it. And then come here because that's what we want to do. We want to teach you his word. We want to lead you in it. We want to take you one-on-one and show you, share life with you through discipleship and teach you the core foundational doctrines of the Bible and show you how to live it out and then give you some deeper instructions in our ministry tools and training and how to now take what you've learned and how to minister and share that to others and serve the Lord in ministry. And if you want to keep going, we got more. And we do that together, but if you're not here, you don't get to experience it. If you don't believe it, it won't work. It's not spiritual osmosis. God has a way. you got to follow his way. But at the moment of your salvation, when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, and you were born again, everything you ever needed to become all God wants you to be was automatically supplied to you in receiving Christ. Why do you think you need something else? Or why do you think you can't do it? Don't sell yourself short. Don't say you can't become spiritually mature because when you do, what you're saying is that God's grace and God's provision is not enough. And it is. You gotta develop it. You gotta work it. You gotta believe it. And you gotta live it. And this gets to why you need to spend time with the Lord in his word individually and and take advantage of all that stuff I just told you about here corporately. Because the goal for learning the word of God is to grasp the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is real. This book is real and it's alive and it can change you. And so that's the, you want to grasp that. You want to get to know the Lord on an intimate level, who he is to build that relationship. It's not just about knowledge itself. That's why I said reading the the word of God, you should read it. The Bible tells us to read it. But if you just read it and then you put it down and then you go do your own thing, it's not going to do anything because that's not the way God set it up. Knowledge itself is not enough. In fact, knowledge puffeth up. So knowledge needs a foundation so that you can do something with it to change the way you live. That's why knowledge always comes after things like virtue and grace in the Bible, right? If you've been through MTT, we have a class on 2 Peter chapter 1 and those stages of spiritual maturity. And this is how it starts, 2 Peter 1.5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. You see, it doesn't start with knowledge. It starts with virtue. In 2 Peter 3.18, at the end of that book, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You see, he didn't start with knowledge. He starts with grace. Knowledge needs a foundation. So that is what you need to put in place in your life. Knowledge alone won't keep you from sin. Knowledge alone won't keep you from continuing the wrong of your life. Listen, the devil knows everything he needs to know. He's got a pretty solid knowledge base. And he chose a different route anyway. No, but here's the thing. The consistent application of knowledge, that's what's going to change you. When you start with virtue and you start with grace and you don't even, you you acknowledge, you don't understand it all, but you're going to believe it. And you're going to go about it the right way. That's what will change your life. When you allow the doctrine, that teaching 
to reprove you and correct you into righteous living. It's a process. And it's actually a pursuit. And that's our key word for this point, pursuit. Because God is always pursuing us, but this is us pursuing him back. And guess what? If you don't set aside time for him, you're not pursuing him. It's just the way it works. So do you want to change? Do you want to quit continuing in the wrong that you've just always been caught up in? And pursue him through his word. Otherwise, you're going to keep doing the same dumb things you've always done. And God will never really get the glory out of your life that he desires and deserves. So if you're stuck in doing the same dumb thing routine, why don't you mix things up? Why don't you change? Why don't you try something new? Why don't you give God's way a try? you start ignoring the lies of the enemy and just believe what this Bible has to say in faith and pursue him through it. But here's the thing, you have to do it consistently. This isn't something that you do for a few days and everything is fixed. Success today doesn't guarantee success tomorrow. No, you got to stay at it because there's another risk or cause for spiritual captivity that we see in our text this morning. And that is the constant nature of war. The constant nature of war. You see, the enemy isn't ever going to leave you alone. Your flesh is constantly with you. While we are on this earth, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved, praise the Lord for that. But your flesh is still there. It still is still with you. We can never get away from this world while we're here. And you could never get away from the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. I mean, it goes, it goes deep. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. So listen, you have to accept that as fact, that, that we are in a war. So you got to fight back. you got to fight your flesh. you got to stand against the devil. You can't be distracted by the world. And, and what we see pictured in our text is that you fight back by shutting the door, shutting those gates to your flesh and to the world and to the devil. That's the instruction Nehemiah gives to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 19. Here's how he's going to solve it. He's just not going to let those enemies in. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates, there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without outside of Jerusalem once or twice. And I testified against them and said unto them, why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should... Come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And I've told you, you know, all along in this study, particularly when we went through chapter 3, that those gates are pictures for us. And they picture some things that we need in our life, and they some picture some things that we need out of our life, and, and things that we need to be able to let in, and things that we need to keep out. And there's so much that we can learn here. But the context of this passage is absolutely the things we need to keep out. 
the risk was they weren't, they weren't keeping time that was set aside for the Lord. Nehemiah says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. We're gonna, when it comes to Sabbath day, we're shutting the gates. We're not letting anybody in. You're not going out. And this con, the, the context is the things we need to keep out. And, and like I said, there's so much we can learn here, but here's where I want to start. If you never shut the door to sin in your life, you're always going to stay captive to the enemy. You can talk a good game, and you can even think that you're ready for the enemy's attacks, but that's not enough. I see it all the time in counseling. I've seen so many times where people say the right things, right? They come in. There's, their life is a mess. And, 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 and this, this is what I just don't understand, right? Like their life is a mess, and they're, and they're coming <laughs> And they're coming to me or coming to one of our other counselors, whatever, for help. And they, they don't want to change. <laughs> they just want things to be different. <sighs> you you got to change. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, Listen, if you're thinking about calling me this week for a counseling appointment <laughs> and you're not willing to hear what the Bible has to say and then do that, please just save both of our times. Uh, if you want to do it, you're like, yeah, you want, your, your life is a mess, so you want things to change you just, you, or you want things to be different, but you don't want to change personally. Like, where's the sense in that? Right. No. <laughs> change. And all the time I see people and they'll come in and, the, and their life's a mess and they want it to be different, but they're not willing to completely shut the door to those gates that keep the things out that need to stay out. And they keep that back door cr just cracked open just in case they want to slip out one night. You can't do it. You got to shut them. Romans 13, 14 says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Shut the door. Close the gates. And then fight back. Did you notice that the Gentile merchants kept coming even after the gates were closed? Until Nehemiah warned them. And said, if you don't leave, I'm going to lay hands on you. And listen, that's awesome. I don't care who you are. I've never said that in a counseling session, but I've thought it a lot. But the point is, you got to fight back. Your enemies are going to show up at your door every day. And when they do, take the sword of the Spirit and spiritually lay hands on them. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You have a sword, so use it. When your flesh wants to sin, cut it. I mean, that is the example of Jesus in Matthew 4, Luke 4, that time of coming out of, the, of, the, the, of those 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted by the devil. What's he, he uses the word of God every, every single time. But you can only do it if you know how to use your weapon. So, so the key word for this point is preparation. 
Have you prepared yourself for the battle? And since this is a spiritual battle, you have to fight through the spirit. You can't fight the flesh with the flesh. Willpower, you know, while that you may be successful for a short period of time, it's not sustainable. It's not the way God designed it. It doesn't give you spiritual victory. It takes the word of God and the spirit of God. It takes you walking in the spirit. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and he shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is another one of those not too difficult to understand passages in the Bible. You're struggling with sin, the lust of the flesh. How do you defeat it? You walk in the spirit. I mean, listen, it's just what you got to do. I told you this is super simple. And yet, a lot of us struggle with it. And how do you walk in the spirit? We showed you this a hundred times and we'll keep showing it to you. But Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When you compare that with Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19, you see that the Bible defines itself. Walking in the Spirit is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as it saturates your mind, it cleanses you, and your desire for sin decreases, and your desire to please Him increases. But like we were talking about earlier, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly is not just learning for head knowledge. You don't gain victory on this front from being the smartest guy in the room. It means it inhabits you abundantly. It's, a, it's about knowing him and not just knowing more. And then that's when you can change. And your life will reflect it. Your public life, your private life. And your flesh will stop having as much power over you as it does today. And you've shut that door. And that's how you prepare. But the world, the devil, your flesh, they're going to fight you. The world wants you to care about all of the flashy things that it has to offer. The devil wants you to not learn from your past and not pursue the Lord so that you stay stuck in your sin and your apathy. And your flesh wakes up with you every day just looking for a crack in one of your gates. So set your priorities right, pursue the Lord, and prepare yourself for the battle. That's what will keep you out of spiritual captivity. So let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And again, as you're settling, getting settled in your heart and in your mind, I just want you to consider if there's anything that God has shown you this morning. And, and I want you to ask yourself, are you distracted by the cares of this world? Or can you never gain victory in your spiritual walk and you just continue in wrong thinking and wrong actions? And are you prepared to go to war every day? And I know those can be tough questions, but they are ones worth asking yourself. And if there's anything in your life that you need to get right with the Lord, will you do it? If, you, if your life is a mess, why don't you change? Why don't you take the steps necessary to give your heart and your life over to the Lord, away from the cares of this world, away from the deceitfulness that's in it. And serve the Lord with your life. There's nothing more worth doing. There's, there's nothing, any, nothing else can replace it. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior this morning, you can get that settled today too. You can place your faith in him, trusting in him, trusting in his word to save you. He, he came to this earth. He died for your sins, lived a perfect sacrifice, 
died for your sins so that you can live eternally with him. You can accept Christ as your Savior and be saved this morning. If you don't know how, that, if you don't know how to do that or what that means, just come talk to me. When, when we're singing this next song, just come talk to me and we can get that settled today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for, for your word and, and thank you for the example of Nehemiah that we have and, and how we can apply it to our life. And Lord, your word is enough. And, and, and man, sometimes we struggle with it. All of us, we struggle with it and and we know what it says, and yet we don't believe it like we should, and yet so we try different routes. None of them work. Lord, help us to see the beauty of your word, the reality of it, and how it is the thing. It's, it's all we need. And so that means we've got to spend time with you. And set time aside to, to fight the fight that, you've, that we're engaged in for your glory. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they, that your Holy Spirit will convict them to give their life over to you today.